Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. OneFootDown.com and the OFD Podcast proudly bring to you The Beat on Notre Dame's Beat with Philip Goff. Let's go! So thank you. We have Ashton Pollard who covers all things Notre Dame sports, including recruiting and more for Blue the Blue and Gold site at On3. How's it going, Ashton? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here for sure. You know, I, I really appreciate the time and, and, and really look forward to taking, honestly, a peek behind the curtain, uh, you know, for what it means to be a beat writer and, and what it means for be a beat writer to uh, for ND. So before we dive in, uh, where can people find you on Twitter and online? Yeah, so my Twitter is at Ashton Pollard 7, so A-S-H-T-O-N-P-O-L-L-A-R-D 7, um, and then online, so like you mentioned, we're part of the On3 network, we made that move over January 1st, so New Year's Day, um, and so all of our stuff still is housed on blueandgold.com, um, but we also get Notre Dame content from like our recruiting arm and from our national site, so if you go to on3.com, basically you can peruse everything, there's a sidebar with blue and gold, or you can just go directly to blue and gold. Um, but there's Notre Dame content everywhere. Mine would primarily be on blue and gold itself, but yep, that's where. Awesome. And we're, uh, it's nice summer day today and I heard some clinking going around. What are we, uh, what are we working with today? <laughs> yeah. So I am drinking, I'm drinking a vodka soda, but I'm trying to get rid of stuff in my fridge and I have a lot of mint and blueberries. So I muddled those in the bottom of a vodka soda with the normal lime. Um, so yeah, again, Not- I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'd say not a not a bad combo. No, not at all. Yeah, I'm going out of town in a couple of weeks um, for two or three weeks. So I'm yeah trying to trying to clean out the fridge slowly but surely. Yeah, I'm uh, no uh, no judgment here. I currently have a whiskey with lemon juice, and this is Julie Goff, my mom's secret recipe of putting in maple syrup in there. Ah, I like that. I it, mean, it yeah, that, delicious. it makes sense. Cause it's kind of like, it's kind of like putting agave in, but it's like maple agave, you know, like, I mean, any like syrup type thing works in a drink, I think so. Oh yeah. Sounds so, good. all right, let's get into the hard hitting stuff. So, um, I'm always curious, uh, especially for beat writers they are clearly passionate about sports. Um, but I'm more curious about, you know, how old were you or were there, was there a time in your life where sports really began to take over your brain? 
Yeah. So I would say around kind of early grade school. So six, seven, eight, which I feel like is when people really do start to get into sports. You can, you can watch them when you're four, but you really don't know what's going on. Everyone does the whole play soccer. You're picking flowers in the field thing in preschool. So I did that. Um, but yeah, I would say around six, seven, eight was when I really got into it. Um, it kind of came as a result of the Notre Dame stuff came as a result of my dad went to Notre Dame. So growing up, he would have every game on in the fall. And as I was first, second grade, I would sit down, watch it. He would explain it to me. And that's kind of how it all got started. But yeah, I would say around that age. So I guess that answers my next question. Next question of were you a Notre Dame fan growing up? Yes. Um, Yeah. So well, I can elaborate more. Yeah, like like full blown, full blown Notre Dame family, or what was the extent? How what's the craziness scale of Notre Dame fandom <laughs> that you experienced? So, immediate family, it's just my dad. Um, I'm originally from Virginia, so my mom went to UVA, but my mom's actually more of a Notre Dame fan now than a UVA fan, which is funny. But um, my great uncle on my dad's side, so his uncle went to Notre Dame. I don't know exactly how old he is, but like (laughs) late fifties, early sixties, whatever, somewhere in that um, area. And that's kind of where my dad got the bug from, I would say, uh, just because we're from Virginia. So it's not like I was growing up in Chicago where Notre Dame's everywhere, like Notre Dame's, I mean, they are everywhere because they're Notre Dame, but you know, kind of what I mean. Yeah. Um, So yeah, my dad ended up going there. um, So it's, it's kind of my immediate family. And then that branch of like my dad's uncle and his couple of kids. And then more recently, my cousin actually played hockey here and graduated a couple of weeks ago. So that roped in another segment of my dad's family. So it's not like I go to, I come from a family where my dad has five siblings and every single one went to Notre Dame, but there are certainly several Notre Dame fans in my family and they're all pretty big Notre Dame fans, I would say. Yeah. I feel a little personally attacked coming from a family who probably has like six or seven uncles or whoever in my family, a part of the Notre Dame, St. Mary's, uh, St. Mary's crew, but, yeah. but I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so the fact that you were kind of indoctrinated into it pretty early, yeah. um, what are your kind of earliest memories, either both positive and negative surrounding Notre Dame? So like I said, seven, when I was seven or eight, that's around like 2002, 2003. So as you might remember, that is not the uh, peak of Notre Dame football by any means. So originally, I think when I was watching it with my dad, again, I'm, I'm learning the game, but you don't understand the broader context. You don't understand that Notre Dame was this powerhouse in the eighties and early nineties, they completely fell off. And now they're a bit of a national joke kind of for lack of a better term. So I would say when I really started to pick up on that was when they got a little better when Brady Quinn took over, because then you start playing in those games that get all that hype. And you're also eight, nine, 10, you're starting to kind of understand what it is for there to be hype around sports and why they're important or why that particular game is important. So yeah, I would say around the the Brady Quinn era, I also, I've told this on a billion podcasts because it's kind of part of why I loved Notre Dame was Brady Quinn and I have the same birthday. And I mm-hmm. thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I would tell everyone, even if they did not ask me, um, <laughs> that that was the case. So had a little bit of a, uh, a crush on Brady Quinn as an eight-year-old girl thinking that that was so cool what he was doing and we had the same birthday. But um, yeah, so does that answer your question? It does. And I also had a big crush on Brady Quinn. So you, you weren't alone there. Yeah. And, um, I figure I can say that because I'm really not the only one that falls into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he goes across, I think every person who's ever looked at him or seen him throw a spiral. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. a crush on him. Yes, Beautiful spiral. Exactly. Very um, spiral. 
And so just moving on a little further, I, I saw that you swam at Penn. Um, mm-hmm. Did you go through any type of recruiting process as part of that? Yes. Yeah, so I was recruited the normal way that you would be, ended up at Penn. People always ask kind of why I didn't end up at Notre Dame because starting when I was about 12-ish, I, that's where I wanted to go. And if people said, what's your backup? I said, there isn't one. I'm going to Notre Dame. And they were like, you should probably find a backup. Like, that's a pretty good school. But um, <laughs> anyways. Penn's not um, too bad, though. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. But you understand my point. People are like, you probably yeah. shouldn't only apply to Notre Dame. That seems like a really bad idea. But I was in sixth grade and didn't really understand what college even was. So um, why that's kind of woven into my recruitment is basically the timeline for swimmers that are going to swim in college, but aren't your borderline Olympians, which I was not, um, they can commit a little bit earlier and the calendar has changed a bit since I went through the process. But when I was there for kind of like, again, your kids that can swim division one, but they're not going to Georgia or Stanford or whatever, mm-hmm. you tend to commit in the fall of your senior year. So you go on a couple of recruiting trips, um, and then they start to fill up spots like October-ish. So I went on a trip to Penn, got an offer. They basically said, you have, I think it was like 10 days or whatever to take it, or we're going to give it to somebody else, which is totally fair because they need to fill out their class. So obviously if I was going to apply to Notre Dame, which I was still considering at the time, I was a little too slow to swim there. So it would either be preferred walk-on or not really swim at all. And I I was never offered a preferred walk-on spot, but like I kind of fit that profile if I was going to end up kind of asking for one or talking with the coach or whatever. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't have found out about getting into Notre Dame, even if I applied early until December, January. So it was either take the pen spot that's essentially being handed to you or take your chances with Notre Dame. And I decided to, uh, go to Penn. So, and I, I don't, I don't regret it. I loved Penn a lot. I went to a lot of Notre Dame games in college anyways. So, um, turned out, Turned out okay, but yeah, that's that's kind of the backstory and how I got to Penn and why I did not end up at Notre Dame, which is a question that I get all the time. Yeah, and that, I mean it's it's super interesting because even you know even even in swimming, I think people don't understand. I mean, my my wife was a college swimmer, my sister in law no college swimmer. Yeah, she was at Can college Charleston. Oh, cool. uh, my college Charleston, and then my sister in law actually did swim at Notre Dame. So oh, nice. Okay, they went through. My wife was more along your vein, where she was kind of later in the process. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of curious, especially as you had to make a split decision based on numbers. So I, I think that probably gives you a pretty unique re- approach and kind of perspective on some potentially what some of these, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old kids are going through. Do you reflect on your own experience as you're kind of starting and writing about and talking to and, and, and expressing kind of your experience to these kids or now? So I guess I would say there, there certainly are similarities. You're picking between schools. They all have pros. They all have cons, whatever. Um, typically just because I'm covering Notre Dame football, those kids are really high level recruits and they're kind of dealing with other factors, um, especially now, namely NIL stuff, mm-hmm. but they're, they're dealing with that whole, am I going to go pro type of thing, which is a harder thing for me to understand because I was never going pro. And I'm not saying that like, I'm dead serious and that's completely fine. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I'm not, uh, people are always like, Oh, you could have. And I'm like, no, I couldn't have it. It's fine. <laughs> um, like, absolutely not. So Yes and no. I, I understand when they're going through five official visits or 12 unofficial visits. Like you see some of these kids that release like, this is my 
June calendar. And it's like, when in the world are you going to sleep? How are you going to like eight schools in four different time zones in three days? So I think I can relate to that a little bit and just kind of the exhaustion and the thought process that goes into it. But again, that being said, they're dealing with, this is going to be my career, hopefully. So I have to factor that in. Whereas I was like, I want to swim in college could be fun, but like, if it doesn't work out, whatever, I'm going to get a job, even if it does work out. And I do go swim in college, if that kind of makes sense. No, a hundred percent. Um, that really does. And I think it's, I mean, just the world of recruiting and won't dive too much into it is, it's just a fascinating yeah. place and how much it's changed in the past, you know, year with NIL. And so, yeah. um, you know, so, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, that, and this goes back a little farther than a year, but I did a, my master's project in grad school on how recruiting has changed in the last decade, basically with Virginia as a case study. Cause I'm from Virginia. So I was looking at kind of the fall off of the Virginia and Virginia tech programs. Cause UVA was pretty good. Like late nineties, a little more in the early two thousands, obviously Virginia tech was very good late nineties, early two thousands. And both have kind of done a nosedive and are cycling through coaches like no other now. So, um, yeah. So I, I looked at it and I looked at a little bit of the NIL, but also just like the social media side and the fact that it's become a 24 seven job. Like you'd talk to high school coaches that were recruited in the early nineties and they're like, yeah, I had one phone call a week and it was fine. And I was a five-star recruit. Right. So now it's like the, even the two-star recruits are being recruited 24 seven and have to be on Twitter and have to be on Instagram. And it's, it's kind of a full-time job, both for the coaches and for the recruits now. So yeah, definitely different. That sounds super interesting. And I would love to actually read that if you have that available. I do. I can send it over to you. It's a little long. It's like 25 pages, but that's okay. It has some like Notre Dame hints in it because Notre Dame has been doing pretty well in Virginia too. The intro, the lead is about Jalen Elliott actually, who's from around Richmond. So you'd probably enjoy it, but it is a little long and I don't blame you if you don't want to. I know that's, it's not fluff. I'm, I, I geek out about that type of stuff. Awesome. So I would say that sounds, sounds super interesting. And so from grad school, you made your way to on three. What was that process like looking at on three, knowing it was this kind of new, I don't want to say new shiny toy, but just a non-traditional player when it comes to the space, because it was just new. Yeah. So it actually, this is a funny segue because I actually got into on three through that master's project that I was doing because Jamie Oaks, who runs the national news desk at on three was a UVA beat writer forever, um, like the last 20 years. So I found him on Twitter and DM'd him independent of on three, DM'd him about the project and was like, hey, you've been around UVA football forever. Obviously I've lived in Richmond and lived through the early 2000s, but to my previous point, I was not following UVA recruiting in 2001. (laughs) Um, He was. So called him and we had a conversation about my project. And then kind of at the end, he was like, hey, we're starting this company. He explained it to me. And obviously I knew rivals 24 seven. Um, I'd been following them for a while. And so that backing of this is Shannon Terry's new company, and he's been so successful, um, that immediately caught my interest for obvious reasons. And then I really, I know a lot of Notre Dame fans don't love the NIL stuff because they're not too thrilled about what certain schools are doing with it. And we don't have to dive into that, but I think it's really, really interesting. Um, and so when he brought up the, the kind of the big differentiating factor, and there are a couple of others, but the big one is that on three is really diving into the NIL space. Um, rivals and 24 seven are not as much. That's not a knock on them, but that's just kind of the business, how the business models differ. Um, so yeah, that, 
definitely caught my attention. And basically he, um, we had a couple conversations and he offered me the job on the national news desk. So I was not doing only Notre Dame to start, but, um, I think that was really helpful because it helped me better understand the national landscape. And once you better understand the bigger picture, it's easier to understand the smaller picture. So, Uh, I had kind of the Notre Dame fandom, so I understand what Notre Dame fans are thinking about most things, but also I have kind of the bird's eye view when they're all freaking out of like, hey, it's actually fine. Other teams are doing X, Y, and Z. You're fine, whatever. So, and I'm not saying I I by no means know everything, but I think having those two experiences is kind of a good, was a good way for me. It was good for me to get that experience before coming onto a beat, if that makes sense. No, it, t- it totally does. And did you just based on kind of your past knowledge and past experience, and I want to call it maybe passion for Notre Dame, is that kind of what led you into um, the role as a Notre Dame beat writer? Or how did that shake out? Yeah. So basically that's it. Um, they wanted to blue and gold again. It was previously owned by rivals who was owned by Yahoo when they were making the move over. I kind of the way that the news desk works is we're all writing on all different teams, but if you're free and something about your team comes up, they'll often send it to you because you have the most context, right? If it's breaking news and everyone's occupied, like maybe I'm writing about Oklahoma, but if I have a second and something is pressing with Marcus Freeman, they're like, Ashton knows, I mean, not knows personally, but you know, (laughs) like it's easier for me to write about Notre Dame than it is Oklahoma. Just like it's easier for the Oklahoma guy to write about Oklahoma than it is Notre Dame. So that's kind of, I ended up, I guess I ended up taking a lot of Notre Dame stuff just because that's kind of how it shook out. Yeah. And they liked that. Um, I had the, yeah, the past passion, I guess, which Shannon Terry really likes. He, he wants to bring that out um, in his writers. So that's, yeah. So basically they just called me and they're like, we have this opening if you're interested in moving over to a beat, um, which did require moving to. So it was a bit of a bigger decision because I was in Chicago before, but um, yeah, that's kind of how it, it shook out. It's, it's nothing too, too interesting. Just, yeah, I was a Notre Dame fan who wrote on Notre Dame and now here we are. Yeah. How's the, uh, how's the transition been to South Bend? Good. I actually really like it. And um, I'd been before obviously, but it's very different to come on a Saturday in the fall and live here. Those are two very different things. So, um, I would say I, I went to school in Philadelphia and then I lived in DC for two years and I lived in Chicago for two years. So basically since I was 18, I've lived in massive cities and I like massive cities, but they're a little bit overwhelming at times. So I think I kind of like the change of pace a bit. Um, I, don't know that I want to live in South Bend, Indiana forever, but I I think that the transition has been smoother just because I was kind of ready for a change away from a really big city after eight years in one and just all of the, yeah, the, I don't, you know, kind of what I mean. They never, like cities don't sleep really. And it's kind of stressful at times. So yeah, it's been good. Um, I had to buy a car. That was a whole experience. I had no idea how to buy a car. I called my dad and I was like, what do I do? And he's like, you just buy the car. I was like, no, no, no. Like uh, what? No. Um, so that was a whole thing. I actually just got my license plate today. I bought the car in March. So shout out Indiana DMV for that whole scenario, but yeah, it's been fun. That was more than you probably wanted as an answer to that question, but no, no, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for, for, uh, South Bend. So I lived there. I did the ACE program through Notre Dame. Um, so I actually lived in South Bend for three summers in a row. And my kind of claim to fame for summers in South Bend is no matter where you go, 
to go grab drinks. Whenever you close out your tab, it's $12, which is yes. quite, quite a big difference oh than God, the, it's uh, cities. it's, it's I, literally, it's, it's living city rich. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And like my apartment is, I pay less and it's like three times as big as my Chicago apartment. People are like, Oh, that's huge. And I'm like, all my friends lived in cities. Cause we all went to college together. Now they're in cities. And I'm like, yeah, this is what happens when you don't live in Manhattan. Apparently <laughs> who, who knew? So <laughs> nothing yeah. against Manhattan. It's fine, but you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a little bit different style of life. And it, it probably helps that it's Notre Dame is so encapsulated in the town that, that you're living in. And I'm, yeah. I'm kind of curious if, if you ever, you know, especially being, you know, South Bend is just synonymous with Notre Dame. And now that you're, you know, a, fa- a face of who writes for Notre Dame, do you ever get people coming up to you ever asking you for scoops, for tips, or just having conversations out of nowhere? Not a ton, but it has happened. I think it, the the first time it happened actually, so it was two weeks before I moved here and I was actually over here to watch my cousin who played hockey to watch his like senior day game. And I was with my aunt and uncle and my grandmother came out from Virginia and I was walking and some guy stopped me and was like, are you Ashton? And I was like, yeah. And like that had never happened. So I, I didn't even process like what was happening. And my grandmother's sitting there and she's like, what in the world is going on? And he's like, oh, I saw you on the YouTube sh- like show. And I was like, oh no, I don't want to be noticed. <laughs> but I like had a nice conversation. Like he was very nice. He was probably around my age, like 25 ish. He was very nice. But from that point on, I was like, yeah, I'm not in Chicago anymore or DC or Philadelphia where I was anonymous for eight years. Yeah. Um, but I've never gotten, I've never gotten asked for scooper information it's just been people they're like oh hey like how are you whatever and then it's a quick whatever but it does does kind of make you like when you go out you're like i should probably look not homeless all the time uh which can be hard um yeah does your um does your family being having that notre dame do they ever try to pry scoops out of you or information out of you they're pretty good about not um my dad so my mom is a notre dame fan but she's kind of, I don't want to like knock her or anything. She's not on, she's not reading Notre Dame blogs all day. She'll read what I write, but like my dad will like sit at work and like read Notre Dame stuff. So he generally kind of knows what's going on. And I would say doesn't really ever ask for scoop, but what he will do is he'll ask after the fact, like I get a lot of, cause Notre Dame's had a lot of commitments recently. I get a lot of, so what do you think of this kid? So what do you think of this? Whatever. And, And like, at that point, it's a little more casual, I guess, than the the article you're writing online. Because again, he will read that, but then not that he's like, so what's the real story? But like, you know, <laughs> kind of what I mean. It's like when you're having a conversation about it, he's able to ask more questions and it, he gets more kind of info or like better, longer explanations than the typical just like commitment story we would write or whatever. Oh, definitely. And, and just kind of taking into kind of some of the articles and some of the work that you're going in, you know, I'd love for people to understand. I think people have an idea of what goes into being, you know, a beat writer and someone who's virtually on call at, at all hours of the day. But uh-huh. you know, I'd love to hear it from you um, kind of twofold, just kind of what maybe I don't want to say like a typical day, but maybe what would su- what people would be most surprised to learn about your experience as a beat writer. Yeah. So we kind of talked about this before we hopped on, but I think they're, well, actually I'll preface it with this. Our jobs as sports writers, no one is dying. Like no one is, you're not a surgeon. You're not uh, somebody who is, has to sign off on someone's house and they're going to be homeless. If you don't sign Like nobody's life is reliant 
on sports journalists. And I'm well of the well aware of that. That being said, there's also this perception that sports journalists just sit and watch TV all day and they just get to watch sports and like everything's glamorous and their hobby is your job and it's fantastic. And I, it is, I don't, I, I love my job. I don't want to say that my job's not fantastic, but I think that is kind of a common misconception and people don't really get like what they see. They see the game and then they see the piece. They don't really know what happens in between. And to be fair, I mean, I didn't either. I was a sports fan my whole life and I was not in sports media until really a year ago, formally as a profession, but even two years ago as a graduate student. So that's, I think, kind of one of the misperceptions. I think also, and I can, this isn't necessarily like a misperception or anything, but just like the explanation of kind of what goes into writing an article. So typically, I mean, after games, the press conferences, which people typically tend to see, but just like the day-to-day. So now when there's not a ton going on with the team, the team is here, they're doing summer workouts, but it's not fall camp and it's not open to the media. Um, A lot of largely, I would say like depth, depth decisions aren't really being made based on this one lift on June 9th. So now what it is, is it's a lot of coming up with kind of your own story ideas, which is also more difficult than one might think. Um, What I tend to do, and I think what helps me as a Notre Dame fan is like, what do I want to know about the team, right? Because odds are, if I don't know it, someone else doesn't know it. And I do not know everything. And I'm not like saying that, but um, like, if, if I have no idea about a topic at all, someone else probably has the same question, which is, I think a nice uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a nice thing about being a fan maybe is you have the, your, like, you know, the pulse of the fan base and not that my coworkers don't, they're fantastic, yeah. but um, yeah. So there's that. It's like coming up with your own story ideas and then you have to find ways to source them often. Um, news articles typically aren't sourced because if X commits to Notre Dame, like, I mean, you can talk to the kid, but you know what I mean? It's like, you yeah. can Google, you can find stuff out about them online. Um but yeah, finding sources and just like kind of exhausting those sources. So what I learned about journalism school is if you want to write an article on Ian Book, you you probably want to talk to Ian Book. You probably want to talk to Ian Book's coach. But what's arguably more fun and more informative is like talking to Ian Book's parents, talking to his siblings, talking to his friends, because that's when you get like a better look at the person, especially if you're writing like a featurey type thing. So I think that is also kind of a something that people don't fully get about journalism is just like the extent that you have to go to, to exhaust sources, to really dive into the story. And again, that's not always possible. Sometimes you're on a quick deadline and you just got to turn it around and you have one source and fine. But um, yeah, that's kind of, those are kind of the things that I get the most questions about. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because I feel like the perception from a lot of people who probably read a story again, like you mentioned, like about Ian book, they're like, Oh great. Well, they, she talked to Ian book and was able to get that story out where so many of the details and small layers and thought that go into it was, your own digging sources. Yeah. Research. And sometimes you don't even use a source. Like they could be, they could be a fine source, but maybe they don't, that you don't have enough room to add in the other topic that they brought up or whatever. Maybe you spend that off into another story, but maybe you don't like, there's a lot of, there are a lot of things that you do that don't ultimately get published. And that, that happens with like writing articles during games, like beat writers will write multiple versions for if Notre Dame wins, if Notre Dame loses, if Notre Dame gets blown out because you want to be, close to first, if not first, obviously accurate too, but you want to get it out there before other people. And if you are starting the moment the game ends, you are not going to get it out first. So 
Um, yeah, a lot of unused words that I've written in my lifetime, which is fine, but yeah, I can, I, I can only imagine. I know we only got a couple more minutes left because, you know, you got to get going here pretty quickly, but just a couple quick hitters, um, yeah. followed by kind of one last thought piece. So the first one is if you could cover any college football team other than Notre Dame, who would it be? Okay. This might make people mad. So I have an interest in the SEC. I think the SEC, like culturally, is really cool. I know a lot of Notre Dame fans don't love the SEC, but I would love to go cover like Alabama. Like I think that that would be really cool and just see, because I mean, like like him or hate him, Nick Saban is a very good football coach and anybody sane is not going to disagree with that statement. So like going to see like how he runs a program, um, I love Lane Kiffin. That is a thing on Twitter. I, I think he is hilarious. I would love to go cover Ole Miss. Like, I, I think that going to an SEC program and just kind of seeing how they do it, I think I probably ultimately would still want to end up back in the Midwest because I think Midwest football is the most fun. But just that's just like a totally different world, and I think it could be fun. So I would say Alabama or Ole Miss probably. I'm fully on board with both of those. Next, uh, next little quick hitter. So, uh, 21-year-old Ashton Pollard is in college, and you – suddenly or have the opportunity to sign an NIL deal. Who are you signing with? Ooh, that's hard. <laughs> um, no, no, no restrictions. No restrictions. Well, so there is a restriction in, 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 in NIL on alcohol and I love wine. So I would really want to sign a wine one, but I feel like that's not allowed. <laughs> um, some food one, maybe I love these like canes and Chick-fil-A ones. Those are awesome. I love those places. Um, I would say probably one of those. I'm not really too into cars. Like it'd be nice to have a car, but like CJ Stroud just got a Bentley like that. I'm not like dying to get a car, but if I were, I would love to have like a Jeep Cherokee, Grand Cherokee. So maybe Jeep that could be more helpful than like Canes, but I don't know. There are a couple answers for you. <laughs> yeah. There's a, uh, there's an upcoming, uh, you know, commitment coming up here in the next little bit, which I feel like with his last name, he could get some potential, you know, lucrative deals here, but we're not going to, yeah. Yeah. Not going to, not going to talk too much on that. So last question before, um, kind of before I let you go here. So, um, I think this, this helps being a, you know, a traditional Notre Dame fan growing up, but if you could have any unfiltered discussion with any player coach or really about any topic about Notre Dame football completely off the record, what would that be? Do they have to be alive? No. Newt Rockney. Ooh, just digging would- in everything. Yeah, kind of. I mean, he fascinates me. He's kind of the father of the forward pass, which is kind of important to this whole operation. Um, I just think it was really cool that he basically took this tiny school in Northern Indiana, made it a national powerhouse by going all over the country. Like that's like, it's pretty easy to get to LA from South Bend. Now that's not easy in 1920, whatever. Like he that there was a lot of thought put into that. We're going to make this a national program. We're going to go play USC. We're going to go play in Yankee stadium. So I think that he was kind of ahead of his time and we don't have to go into all of the history, but that's partially kind of because they got boxed out of the big 10, but that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, I would love to know about that and just like pick his brain. I guess someone that is alive, it would be Brady Quinn. Uh, just cause I kind of consider him the, the person that sparked my, interest in this and I probably would have ultimately gotten involved like would have been a fan anyways just because of my family but I think he he's kind of the one when you say Ashton who's your favorite Notre Dame player of all time it's Brady Quinn like without 
a doubt. So. And, and Brady, I know you're listening. So next year we're going to have a joint <laughs> birthday party with you and Ashton. So um, I, uh, you can fund it, Brady. Um, I'm down. We'll Let's um, do it. So Ashton, uh, thanks again. This has been this ah, has been wonderful. Thank you. Um, you provided just some some great information. Um, I'm excited to uh, to kind of read more of your stuff. So can you just tell everybody one more time where they can find you? Yeah, for sure. So I'm on Twitter at Ashton Pollard seven, and then uh, everything on blueandgold.com. And if you want to go a little more national, head to on3.com, and you can read all of that as well. So yeah, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Awesome. Thanks. Have a great night. You too. Awesome.